Welcome to the Digitally Dreaming Off the Gridiron Podcast. I am joined today by two-time Pro Bowl, first-team All-Pro, 1997 All-Madden team selection, second all-time interceptions leader in Houston Oilers, Tennessee Titans franchise history, Louis, uh, Kentucky Pro Football to Hall of Fame inductee, class of 2010, former NFL and, and JUCO and D3 uh, college coach, the man, the myth, the legend himself, Chris Dishman. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. And you, how things going? Doing all right, man. My Niners yeah. in the playoffs, you know. So I, I see, <laughs> I see you representing those Niners for sure, and yeah. the Raiders in the playoffs too. You know, it's crazy, man. And you actually, yeah, let, let's talk about that. What did what were your takeaways? Because now the regular season's over. What are your takeaways from Week 17? And kind of what teams are you looking out for, or kind of what teams stood out for you heading into the playoffs? Well, well of course, Kansas City always going to be Kansas City. You right. know, I'm expecting uh, Kansas City and Green Bay the meetup in the in, in into the championship you know those are my two teams that i'm thinking but the titans is always going to be there with a good running back so it's going to be i think it's going to be the titans and kansas city in the, in the championship game and it's going to be one one well of a game so it, it, from yesterday's games it's like everything crazy that happened happened you know from uh the from the from the first downs Going forward on a fourth down, you know that Raiders game was, was a was a whirlwind. Right, that Raiders game was just crazy. Into the Niners game, I mean, kind of like back and forth, back and forth. So many ebbs and flows, and 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 Ambry Thomas, his positioning in that last interception. Let me get your take from someone who actually played the position, you know, at the highest level. Kind of what what was your take? Because obviously the route when he he basically undercut OBJ on the route and he just stayed with him the whole time. He didn't lay a finger on it, but he just he. He, 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 he timed the ball placement just so well. He high-pointed the ball so well. I mean, it was to me, it was just insane, you know? So It was, it was a great coverage. He had a great interception. You could tell he did his job where way he's supposed to be doing his job. Um, it's a little like it was a cover, what we call cover two man or cover five, okay. something like that is trailing underneath. And that's exactly picture perfect how he played it. You know, I wish I can get a copy of that tape and show my guys how you play two man. So that's exactly how he's supposed to play it. He did exactly what he's supposed to be doing. And if you do your job, that's what happens. You good things will happen. That's exactly it. You know, let me see if I can pull it up. There it is. Yeah. See, he just he stays on top of him and boom. You know. Yeah, that, that like I said, that, that was a great interception. Such a great interception. You know, I mean, just it's amazing. Just you know. Yeah. That's a good job of him tracking the football. Once that football, and that's what DB's got to realize, they always think that uh, receivers always think they're open. You know, AKA right. Michael Irvins, he always thought he was open. But that's what they feel to realize. Once that ball in the air, we have every right to that football as they do. So if you can be a good tracker of the football like that guy was and have good ball skills like Xavier and Howard there in Miami, then you're going to catch a lot of interceptions and make a lot of plays all because you believe in your skills. Hundred percent, hundred percent, and that's a perfect segue because now we can get into your career as an as as an athlete and as a player. So, obviously, um, I'm not sure if you know this, but I play in the Arena League, so that's why I got these guys. Um, be there, yeah. <laughs> Juco, of- AIF, and then uh, semi pro slash Arena in Chicago back yeah, 2018. That's a lot of rings. I wish I could wear that many rings. I don't have- <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, well, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to oversell myself. Some of them are championship rings. Some of them are just commemorative anniversary rings, like from like Juco okay. and stuff like that. But I mean, I still, I still wear them with pride. So, hundred percent. Uh, so, kind of, yeah. So, obviously, for you, uh, was football your first love, and and what was it like growing up in Kentucky? You know, um, during your time, and how, and what got you into football? No, really, uh, from Louisville, uh, and really, my first love was boxing. Muhammad oh, Ali wow. is one of my child, childhood heroes. I didn't grow that too far from the, from his house, so um, boxing was it. But once I went to the one couple of, of the boxing uh, tryouts and matches and got hit upside the head two or three times, I felt like, nah, that's not for me. <laughs> then uh, I fell in love with basketball. Being from Louisville, you know, with the, uh, for the Cardinals, I grew up watching the Cardinals, Daryl Griffin, Rodney McCray's, the McCray, McCray brothers, and stuff like that. So I grew up watching them. So basketball was my second love. And then once I realized that after 12 feet, my shot wasn't going in, then I realized that, I, and I'm only six feet, six one, then I realized that I couldn't have a career in basketball. And then I switched to my third love, which was football. So as I switched to third love of the football, I was a receiver all the time. I was, went from running back in grade school to receiver in high school. And 
when I got to college at Purdue, I was switched from receiver to defensive back. So that wasn't, that didn't sit too good for me because I actually wanted to transfer out of Purdue because they switched me from receiver to defensive back, but I hung in there and stayed with it. And, you know, they knew more than I guess they knew more than I did. 13 years later, I had a good career there in the NFL playing defensive back. So. 100%. Talk to me about your recruiting experience to go Purdue. What's that a Purdue apart from all the other schools that were recruiting you during your junior, senior year in high school? Well, I had, I had a very good alumni parent, Bob Holloway, God rest his soul. Um, I think he went to every single basketball game I went, I played in every single track meet I went to. Uh, Coach Bert, Leon Burnett, who I still talk to today, uh, used to come down to visit. Him and my dad just hit it off right away. Uh, Chester Caddis, a guy also who's recruiting the area, you know, they just hit it off so well with my parents. And I thought, and I thought that was the Scottsdale's team, Purdue, Indiana, and Michigan. Lee Corso got fired that week, so I knew it wasn't going to be Indiana. And then uh, Michigan was probably about seven or eight hours, seven and a half hours from Louisville. And with our car, I knew our car was not able to make it all the way up there. I'm a, I'm a parent's boy, my mama and a daddy's boy. So I felt like I wanted to go somewhere close where my mom and dad can actually get to drive and see me play. So that's how Purdue came along. But like I said, I had a great relationship with Coach Burnett, Coach Caddis, and Bob Holloway. That's who sold me on Purdue. So that was that's what happened of, of why I chose Purdue was it was only three and a half hours away from Louisville and the relationship I had with Coach Burnett, Coach Caddis. 100%, you know, and I think that's so key, right? For any student athletes who may be listening to it, you know, if, uh, you know, or I guess any programs or recruiters, because back when, I mean, my last guest, LaVon Kirkland, or sorry, two guests ago, LaVon Kirkland, when he was on, he talked about the recruiting process for Clemson. It was also that interpersonal relationship with the coaches, right? And when you can build that interpersonal relationship with the student athlete, you can really kind of set yourself apart. And then by, by the time student athlete like yourself or anyone else steps foot on campus, then essentially it makes it easier to make that decision. So I think that's great. That Coach Burnett and Coach Cam- and Campus Campus right was it was a Coach uh, Coach Caddis Coach Caddis Caddis yeah Coach yeah Coach Burnett, Coach Coach Caddis went out of their way to, to build that relationship and I think that kind of was that was that would you say that was, that was kind of helpful to help you transition from switching positions in, in college from from receiver to DB or kind of how how was that transition for you because it sounded like it was a little difficult and you and you had to kind of work your way into it it was it was rough um, it was uh, like I said God works in great ways right um, you know the first excuse me, the first meeting when everybody come in, you know, it was offense stay in one room and defense had to go another room. So I was still sitting there. And then my position coach, Ron Mims, kept yelling my name, Dishman, Dishman, come on. And me, being me, I was like, okay, it's another Dishman. I wonder where he's at. What's the come since another Dishman in the room? But Lord knows it was me he was calling. <laughs> go to the defensive room. So I'm still sitting there. I'm not like, I'm not moving. I'm an offensive player. I'm a receiver. And he came up behind me and this one, you hear me calling you? I said, I said, yes, sir. But I'm, I'm an offense. He said, you defense now. So I was like blown, blown away. So I went over there and was only one seat left because I was the last one coming over there. And the only seat there was by, uh, you guys may know this guy, played almost 18 years in the league, Hall of Famer, Rod Woodson. Out of oh, Fort yeah. Wayne, Indiana. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was the only seat available left. <laughs> and I plopped down there by him, and he saw that I was so destroyed and bad. And he t- reached over and tapped me, talking about, man, you can play this position. You'll be all right. I'll teach you. And then, um, you know, left that meeting that day, went home. There wasn't any cell phones back then. So I don't know how, if, if, you, if you can appreciate this, there wasn't any cell phones. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I went downstairs to my dorm in, in Tarkington Hall, got on a phone and called my mom and dad. Now, granted, my dad probably answered, he's deceased right now. My dad died when he was 89 years old. Uh, wow. no, right, he just turned 90, right, excuse me. And um, he probably answered the phone 10 to 15 times in his whole lifetime. <laughs> Unfortunately for me, I called that day and he answered the phone. I told him, spilling my guts out to him. They transferred me to this receiver. I want to transfer. It wasn't no transfer portal. I needed him to call Michigan. I wanted to go to Michigan and play receiver. And all of a sudden, he said, no, you'll be all right. And all of a sudden, I heard a big 
buzz. As you hung up the phone back in the day, you heard this big buzz, buzz sound. So I figured that, oh, we must got disconnected. Called back. My mom, being a supportive wife she, she is and was, called back. She answered the phone. I was spilling my guts out to her. She said, well, your daddy said that you'd be okay. And when we get some money, we're going to bring you a care package. So I'm thinking, look, my life is over. Things is done. I need to get out of here. I don't want to play this receiver stuff. But, you know, my dad and mom taught me a great lesson of sticking it out, make things work. And like I said, fortunate for me that I did stick it out and ended up playing 13 years in the league at defensive back. But like I said, I had some great coaches. I can't say it's all me. I had some very, very good coaches from high, from high school, Coach Maddock, Coach Haddock, you know, then getting there at uh, Purdue, head coach Ron Mims, coach Burnett. Then my last year, I had coach Bennett, you know, and then my rookie year at the Oilers, Lord knows I had the coach Saban. Nick Saban was my DB coach. You there know, we go. <laughs> very, very good foundation coach. And like I said, if, if I had a DB, I have a son now who's playing DB. If you ever have an opportunity to go play underneath coach Saban, that's exactly where he goes. He's a very uh, foundation coach. And that's what I like about coach Saban. He, the little things and the big things does matter with him. And, you know, that, that actually registered my memory from when I played. Obviously, I, I didn't make it to the league, right? But when I played in JUCO and I played, obviously, my, my first coach in JUCO, because I didn't play in high school at San Jose City College, was Coach Keith Dub Williams, who's now the passing game uh, 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 offensive system for the Baltimore Ravens. Hmm. And kind of those foundations, right? Because I was coming in out of high school. I didn't know how to play receiver. I didn't know what – I didn't know shit. <laughs> I was like, okay, right, what am right. I supposed to – Like, you know, I mean, you know, like you said, cover two, zone, man. What, what are these schemes? Like, you know, what, are the, what, do, you, what do you mean five, seven, in, out, you know, breaks, getting out, you know what I mean? Right, right. So, and, but you coached up, help us stand, establish that foundation, kind of like coaching and Saban and the coaches you had, help prepare you for that for that next 13-year career, which we're, we're about to get into, you know, in, in the National Football League, right? And I think that, uh, you know, for anyone, you know, definitely, you know, again – Find, find, find your sweet spot. Also work with the coaches, but be open-minded because sometimes, you know, you may not get your first option to your, to your story, right? You may not get that first option, but whatever your coaches see in you, they probably see what you may excel at and you may be able to build an illustrious career like you did, you know, uh, with that. Right. So, yeah, like I said, I was, I'm fortunate, you know, like after I got through coach Saban, I had two of the Rams, uh, corners. I had coach Thomas then. um, and Coach Perry, you know, they both played with for the, uh, the Rams at the time and came back coaching. You know, then I had Coach Bettis. You know, I had some great, great coaches throughout my career. Coach Zook, you know, Coach Hayes. I can go on and on of the foundation coaches that, that made me who the players and the drills I do today with my guys that I've learned from those guys. I took a little from here and a little from there and a lot from here and a lot from there. And that's how you become a good coach, taking what others have given you. And that's what I'm trying to do is, take what they have given me that worked for 13 years, pass it down to the, to the younger generation and hopefully it works for them. 100%. Now let's get into, you know, your draft, you know, you mentioned your, Michael Irvin, who was one of your draft class members. If I'm not mistaken, 1988 NFL draft, that'd be there are five hall of famers, Michael Irvin, Thurman Thomas, um, Tim Brown, Dermonte Dawson, a teammate of, of another guest of the show, LeVon Kirkland. Mm-hmm. And uh, one more uh, whose name, whose name escapes me right now. Oh and, I, yeah, I'm sure it's gonna be more than that. That class was stacked, was and, was and stacked with some guys. Hundred percent. And you, you were were the 125th overall pick in the fourth round. You were the lowest drafted player to to make multiple Pro Pro Bowl teams, and the lowest drafted player of that draft to make the All Pro team. So kudos well, to you on that. I'm not well, sure if you knew that. No, that's good stats to know. Yeah. <laughs> I did not. You know, as a, as a player, you just play the game. You don't really watch your stats. At least I did. Right. You know, I didn't watch my stats of how many tackles, how many interceptions, how many of this. People ask me all the time how many interceptions you have. And then I have to tell them, hold on, because I have to go Google it and make sure <laughs> what it is. You know, I can't remember off the top of my head the interceptions. So, you know, that's, that's a great thing about sports in general, that you play the you, – you play – a game and get paid for a game that you played as a childhood that you love so much that it doesn't really matter. It's all about the wins and losses. It's all about, like you said, the rings on your fingers. Unfortunately for me that I don't have any rings on my fingers. I wasn't, was not able to get to the pro bowl. I mean, to the super bowl, you know, I made the pro bowls, the all mans and all those accolades are fine and dandy, but the ultimate team, uh, 
the ultimate team goal is to win a championship, to win the Super Bowl every year. And everyone else, no matter if you get to the Super Bowl and lose, or you lose in the first round, everybody else is second place because the Super Bowl <laughs> winner is the Super Bowl winner. 100%. You know, that's how it is, right? Either you're first or you're last, like Ricky Bobby right. said. <laughs> right. <laughs> So talk to me about kind of your draft experience and what was it like for you stepping into the Houston Oilers Foundation or organization, you know, as a rookie back in 88? Well, when I, when I got the call from um, Mike Holovac, God, God rest his soul, um, he called me and told me, do I know anything about Houston? Well, at the time, you know, being a big Ali fan, only person that I knew and hated was George Foreman. Houston, <laughs> <laughs> And... I knew I saw him hitting up one alley and I did not like that. So I didn't, uh, you know, I did not like that. I told George Foreman that years ago when I finally met him at an autograph session him when I was there, he just had a good laugh about that. But, you know, that's the only thing I really knew about Houston. So Mike, Mike Holovac called me and said, uh, we're into the fifth round. We're going to take you with the next pick. If no one else take you, are you ready to play? And I said, yes, sir, I'm ready to play. So. And then he passed the form to Coach Saban. You know, Coach Saban congratulated me, told me to get here ready to play, stuff like that, and gave me his, his good speech, and, and that was it. But my draft party was so big, you know, I had to wait till everybody calmed down. You know, I had a draft party of three, myself, my mom, and my dad. Well, my mom and, my mom and I was watching old Andy Griffin stories when I got the phone call. My dad was back in my one-bedroom apartment in West Lafayette, Indiana. He was asleep. So when I got the call and told him I was going to get drafted by the Oilers, my mom called out to my dad. My dad's like, oh, well, okay, well, let's, let's get ready to go. He was about to wake up and drive back to Louisville. And I told him, no, they spent the night. So they ended up spending the night at my apartment in West Lafayette, Indiana. And uh, my mom and I started watching, back watching Andy Griffin reruns. So that was my big draft party. You know, of course I was excited, you know, my childhood dreams is finally getting drafted. And that's what guys got to realize that once you get drafted, you still have to put in the work to make the team. 100%. I was a fifth round draft choice. You know, they already had four corners on the team. They drafted a, a corner in the second round, Quentin Jones out of Pittsburgh. They drafted him in the second round. So like more than like of me making a team was very slim. So I had to come in and put in the work, you know. That's why I used to run the uh, stadium steps there at Rossé at night. That's why I used to go in, out and do my workout, my push-ups, my sit-ups, uh, my back pedals, my tournament goals, and all that before I can make the team. And when I just – I had a, a determination of I wasn't going to be told no. And I still have that determination. No is not an option to me. So I just worked my butt off. And was able to, like I said, was able to listen to uh, the coaches that I have, I had, and I was able to be successful for them. So I can't put it all on me, but it's it's God, my coaches, and the athletic t talent that God has given me. Hundred percent. You know, obviously, you know, you definitely. I read Sky Pippen's autobiography, and I and basically he talked about. Well, if I'm unguarded, you know, everyone says it's a Michael Jordan hit job. It really isn't. I mean, it's his it's his own life experience getting to the NBA, right? Around the same time you got into the NFL, around 87, 88. And essentially, the way he kind of he recapped it was that, you know, obviously uh, from high school, um, you know, and from all the way through college and through the NBA, when he got to the NBA, he, the, the talent pool, and you can attest to this, the talent pool becomes so much more saturated. You have to work extremely extra hard just to maintain competitiveness with to, to get on the field, right? as opposed to being like the best player in, in college, the best player in high school. And then like, you know, so that's kind of like, you know, Hey, rookie, welcome to the NFL, you know? <laughs> right. Right. And, and that's the thing is they don't realize rookies don't understand that the older veterans can actually help, even though they tease you a lot and make fun of you, make you do crazy stuff, but it's actually a welcome mat right. uh, to you. So that's why I just, you know, said, like I said, once I got there and I was fortunate to have Ray Wallace, who was already on the team, Ray and I played together at Purdue. He took care of me there when I was with the Oilers, you know, showing me around Houston, make sure I knew where to go and where not to go <laughs> and places <laughs> like that. So I had him there also guiding me and helping me uh, through, through, those, through those days. But like I said, it's once you get there, you still have to put in the work to stay on, stay on point of trying to make the team. 100%.
those kind of and, and you kind of you kind of allude to it. So, so their first couple seasons in in Houston, right? I mean, pretty much you guys had experienced some really good success. I think that first year you made the playoffs, lost in the wall, lost in the divisional. Next year you made the wild card, and Warren Moon was your quarterback, so it made it a little bit easier, you know, to kind of you know get to you know to the promised land. And, and you and you were basically, you know, kind of young upstart DB gunning, you know, being able to kind of, you know, kind of uh, be effective, you know, in, in the different schemes that if I'm not mistaken, um, Buddy Ryan, was he was he the uh, defensive coordinator or the head coach during that time or no? Yeah. One, one time Coach Ryan was our, our coach, like I think it was in in um, 94 or somewhere around there. Okay, so, so later on, but like the early years. Yeah. Early years, it was uh, Coach Glanville really co- called the defense. Got it. Uh, okay. For, for us, you know, right in and there. And Coach Glanville's system really worked for the style that I did at Purdue. Yeah. We played bump and run. You know, Woodson was on the, on the right side. I was on the left side. And we played bump and run and covered it, covered the guy in front of you. Don't let the guy in front of you catch the ball. We're good. Yeah. So it was the, I, I was just fortunate for me that I was able to get in a system like that, that it's all they played. Because at Purdue, I never backpedaled. I didn't learn how to backpedal until – uh, Pat Thomas and Rod Perry came in and showed me, and Nick was trying to show me a little backpedal, but we never really worked on backpedal because we're, we're as a, in your, Jerry wanted press corners, corners in your face and press. And that's all I did was press. And I loved that because that was my game. So uh, Coach Perry and Coach Thomas really taught me how to backpedal because I didn't really know how to back. So it's just different coaches taught me different things in life that helped me in my career moving forward but if I was be be drafted by a team who played zone I probably wouldn't be sitting in front of you today I probably would have been already cut because I wasn't that type of player I wasn't a zone corner I was a man-to-man corner you know I was a guy that you tell me take this guy I take this guy he ain't catching the ball no matter if he's Jerry Rice uh, you know John uh, John Taylor uh, you know Alvin Harper no matter Andre Reed whoever this guy's not catching the ball. If he catches the ball, he better have some, he better have a great catch because he's not catching the ball over me. So that's what my mentality was each and every time, you know. So that's what the system I got into, and I think that's helped me along my career also. Hundred percent. And kind of you know, uh, let, let's also talk about kind of your favorite matchup then uh, during you know during that during your your years in Houston. Who 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 did you as a man corner? Who did you enjoy going up against the most? Mike Irvin. I always, <laughs> because I always want to go against Irvin because of the noise. He used to always talk and, <laughs> you know, tell me I couldn't cover him. He was open. I'm like, Mike, I'm, I'm right here by you. What you mean, man? Troy doesn't need to throw me the football. It's just, he was just so competitive. Yeah. You know, he kept, he kept you competitive each and every play because you knew that the ball was coming his way or he was forcing the ball his way. Yeah. Uh, same thing was playing against a guy like Jerry Rice and and, and uh, Andre Reed. You know, they knew you knew the number one receiver is going to get the ball. I always wanted to be on the number one receivers because I knew they was going to get the ball. So if I can shut them down and play versus good with them, then that just elevate me as a corner. Hundred percent. You know, you 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 play up to your competition. So I think that that's definitely that's definitely a valid uh, you know take. And uh, I was glad glad to hear your take perspective on that. Let's talk about your 1991 season, your best season arguably of your career. Uh, you basically led the league in intercept, or I think you're third in the league in interceptions. Or did you lead the league in interceptions? Or you what was it third? I think I it was, think it was third or somewhere around there. Yeah. yeah, third. With six interceptions, you had seven straight games with with a takeaway or a turnover. And mm-hmm. I remember there's one game in particular where you basically intercepted John Elway and he went straight to the house. And, yeah. uh, you know, we're 28. So that jersey right behind Chris, all, all the listeners watch or viewers watch on YouTube, that was a jersey, the kind of the, the powder blue with the white 28. Basically yep, takes it to the it. house, there's a little, little dance. I'm like, oh, my God, man, Chris came to play. <laughs> you know, I love to see yeah. it. I love to see it. So talk to me about that 91 season. We basically blossomed to a first-team All-Pro and a Pro Bowl caliber defensive back. Well, the year before that, um, one of our other corners, Richard Johnson, made the Pro Bowl. Yeah. And usually when you make the Pro Bowl, the next the team the next year, the team's kind of shy away from you. You don't want to throw you away. Right. So with Richard making the Pro Bowl, I realized that, hey, if he made the Pro Bowl, everything's going to come towards me. I'm the weak link. So I had to make sure that they realized that I'm not a weak link. You may throw it over here, but you can eventually change your mind and go back to the other side. So that was my motto. Um, 
every year when I played from 88 to 2000, I went to train down in San Diego. I trained with a track guy named Ron Shetfield. He used to coach at San Diego State. And every year I used to go train. The season was over with in January by March the 10th. And I always picked March the 10th was the day I was in San Diego and I trained March, April, come back for mini camp in May, go back out there, then come back in, uh, to our regular camp in June or July. So I used to go out there and train. I used to go out to train with him before these trainers and everybody now start popping up. Uh, I used to run track. I was big in track, running track. And I was, got, I was I always kept myself in the best shape of my life, you know, uh, because I felt like that when I came to camp, I had to be ready to go. And I think that's what helped me bolster my career and helped me in 91 too, of actually going out there and because I usually go one session with him. In 91, I ended up going two sessions with him. And going two sessions, I think my body was in the best shape that I've ever been. And from 91 on, I started going to both sessions with him. And it really helped me throughout my career of keeping myself in shape. You know, like I said, I don't mention Coach Shetfield a lot of, of my success, but he is part of my success also because his drills, uh, his track workouts, and I, and I am a firm believer that every skilled player, player need to run track. Yeah, You have to get off the basketball court, get off those basketball courts. I know basketball is fun, but you get yourself with a track coach who teach you the fundamentals of running, knowing how to breathe and stuff like that. It's, it's, it will work better for you than, than basketball. So like I said, I used to go there every year and train and, and I just had to blossom my, my, myself because I knew that every ball was coming my way. And pretty much with that, you know, kind of now that, now that you know that your side of the field will be open, what was your favorite play from that year? Uh, you know, or your favorite highlight, you know, from the 91 season? Um, wow. We, that's a great question. I got to take a minute and think about Absolutely. that. One. Take your time. Um, I got to say, we played the Dolphins. Okay. We, somehow we played the Dolphins. And, oh, what is his name? The running back. Smith something. Sammy Smith. Yeah. They jumped over and was about to score, and he fumbled. And I was covering my guy and felt, you know, covering my guy and look. Excuse me. I covered my guy and looked, and I saw the ball there, and I just hopped on the ball. Uh, and I think that was the one that broke the record of, that many games with some type of turnover, the fourth formal form recovery interception. So I think that game right there, because I never knew a record like that exists. Right. Until after, <laughs> until after I was asked by uh, uh, Mark Berman, one of our beat writers, and John McClain, one of our two beat writers there with all us, they asked me about how it feel of breaking a record or such, such, such game in a row. And I looked like, is it, a, is it a record like that? And I was like, yeah, it was like his, and I was like, well, I was, I guess it felt great because I never knew it, it, that type of re record existed. So I think that's probably one of my favorite moments in 91, uh, breaking a record I did not know that exists. Yeah, 100%. You, know, you broke a record, you didn't know it exists, and you went ahead and became what were named to the All-Pro team with the names you mentioned, Jerry Rice, you know, Joe Montana, Joe, like all the greats and pretty much cement yourself as one of the elite players, you know, at the position, you know, it must have been, a, I mean, truly, truly remarkable, I have to say, you know, and obviously because you with the team as you played with, right, with Warren Moon and, you know, the other guys, you know, I mean, I'm sure you, I'm sure there's many names we can get through, right? I mean, it just must have been a great kind of honor, you know, to be a part yeah. of that old pro team. <laughs> it was, and, and the Pro Bowl, we, I think at the Oilers, we had eight or nine guys on the Pro Bowl team that year. I'm not really sure the number, I got to be, uh, Stat, fact, stat check on that one. Yeah. But I think we had eight or nine guys that go to the Pro Bowl. Uh, Bruce Matthews, Bruce Ray Childress, Warren Moon, Hayward Jeffries, um, Ernest Givens, I think, made it. William Fuller. Uh, yeah, we had, like I said, we had about nine. Uh, Munchak, Matthews. We had four or five, three uh, offensive linemen, I think two defensive linemen. I think Al Smith made it that year, a linebacker, myself. You know, saying we had a lot of guys that year going to the Pro Bowl. So playing with the Houston Oilers, we always had a good team from 88 to the years to 96 I left. Yeah. 
getting into the playoff was not an issue for us. Right. You know, I know, I know it sounds cocky, but it wasn't. <laughs> because we had a very, very good team from, I say from 89 to 94, that Houston Oilers team, I will put that against any team out there today. And we will kick their butt because we had a very good skilled setting team, a very good team. Uh, guys who love the game, guys who fought for each other, you know. So I think that team is probably some of the best teams I've played on talent-wise and talent-wise and mental, you know. Mentally, we were so mentally strong, could nothing break us. You know, we always, I think everyone had an attitude, move on to the next play, no matter what happened. Yeah, we used to fuss at each other, get mad at person, get mad at this person, but move on to the next play. You know, it can't, can't stop us, just move on to the next play. So that's what I liked about those, those teams from 89 to 94. We had some of the most dominant teams there, but we just couldn't get over that hump in the playoff. And that's what it hurt. We just couldn't get over that hump. But, you know, considering who your competition was, I mean, it's very understandable why you couldn't. And the Buffalo Bills during during that four, they used 98, 89 to 94, right? From 90 to 94, 93, 94, right? The Bills were pretty much running the AFC. I mean, it's almost impossible to see, you know, any other team, you know, be able to kind of, you know, trump that. So, I mean, at the end of the day, even though you weren't able to get over the hump, it's very difficult to win the NFL. And I think your playoff success, in addition to your individual success, in, individual, in, in addition to the amount of Hall of Famers and Pro Bowl talent your, your rosters had throughout those years, those, those six, however many years, I think, I, think, I, th- I think that is a testament to the overall legacy of the Houston Oilers, you know, for right. your run there. Yeah. And, and also that now that I know uh, we're speaking, that we need to go and see how many Houston Oilers are coaching. Right. We got a lot of Houston Oilers are coaching, you know. <laughs> so you have uh, – just as far as our head coaches, you have Eddie Robinson down there at Alabama State, Eddie George at Tennessee State, Bob McDowell there at Prairie View A&M. So we have a lot. Of, we have three Houston Oilers that coaching at HBCUs. Um, you know, I'm coaching. You have a lot of coaches that coaching in. You know, we have one guy at Clemson. You know, we have coaches that's coaching at different aspect: college, high school, professional. You know, so that's what we need to go around and see if pick out all the Houston Oilers that's out there coaching. I bet we probably have the most guys coaching than any other team. hundred percent. You know, a true testament to that's true or not. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. On the digital dreaming off the ground podcast, we don't, we, we, we stat check whenever we feel yeah. like it. It's all right. Yeah, stat check, <laughs> check, stat check then let me know. <laughs> Will do. <laughs> no, absolutely. Right. Mike, Mike Munchak was, was one name that immediately came to mind, you know, kind of, you know, yeah. for the recent as a head coach in the NFL. So I totally yeah. agree. I mean, and, and that, that's a true testament in my opinion too, of your legacy. If you're able to kind of get those coaching gigs, cause that shows how, how skilled, how versatile you were up here at your position, at your role, you know, yeah, so Munchak coached for a while. Bruce Matthews coached for a long time. You know, Mike, of course, was the head coach of the Titans for a while. So it's, right. it's very interesting to see that. hundred percent. Now let's talk about, you know, near the end of your own, basically, basically, yeah, we'll get to the end, 96 and basically the, your free agency. Um, you know, that was last year as the Houston Oilers because they were moving to Tennessee. And obviously, right. I mean, that, that must have been, that must have been a point of contention for you, right? Talk to me about kind of how you felt about the move and kind of what, 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 what inspired you to sign with the, with the Washington football team during that offseason? Well, my contract was up. Okay. My contract was up and it wasn't about the money. It was about the principle of everything for me. And um, the city of Houston been great to me on and off the field. Um, and I just felt like I was betraying the city of Houston, moving on to Tennessee. It's nothing wrong with Tennessee. I have a sister live there in Nashville. You know, it's nothing about the Tennesseans. It's just, I always felt like that I was betraying the people of Houston. Uh, if I left and go on and play with the Tennessee Oilers or the, what was they called? The Tennessee Oilers at the time. Yeah. And, just fortunate for me, my contract was up. And sometimes you have to go somewhere new to get the respect, uh, or go somewhere else to get the respect that you think you deserve. And sometimes you stay at a job long enough, people just take you for granted. And I thought I was being taken for granted. And I felt like that I had to go elsewhere to prove myself, not only to uh, others, but to me. And I'm a more person, I got to prove myself to me. And if the others like it or don't like it, I can't worry about that. The only person who, who guide my steps is God. 
And if God liked it, then everyone else got to like it, you know? So I don't worry about what other people say about me or what they think about me. That's not my issue. That's, that's your issue that you have to get over. But my issue is I have to please God. I have to please myself. So that was one of the issues. I just felt like I was betraying the people of Houston. And I was like, I can't, I'd rather go somewhere else and play than go down to Tennessee and be the Tennessee Oilers because I could never see myself calling them the Tennessee Oilers because it's only one team that's the Houston Oilers. 100%, you know, and kind of your point about your contract being taken for granted, you basically got a very nice pay bump by signing with the Washington football team during the 96 offseason, right? And so, I mean, how 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 did that feel for you? I mean, kind of the respect that you were given by the by the franchise, Johnny, with, you know. Well, it, it, was, it was not only the pay, it was the person that I was about to go play with, hmm. Daryl Green. How many guys can go leave a team, be the number one person, and go play for a guy like Daryl Green? Go play with a guy like Daryl Green. Green, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. He, he said I had a great opportunity to either further my career of playing with someone like that because I know I can trust Daryl. I knew he was going to do everything he had to do, and I was trying to figure out how teams was going to throw the football because they can't throw it my way, they can't throw it Daryl's way. So how they was going to throw the football? So I was very fortunate to be match up with a guy like him and play two years with him, you know, because Daryl is just a super individual. Um, he got me stronger in my faith in God. He got me stronger as a football player, got me stronger as a person individually just because of him. You know, we a quick story. He always used to keep tissue rolls in his, in his sock. And that's what he used to eat is tissue rolls, tissue rolls. And I'd be like, man, you're eating a lot of tissue rolls. He's talking about giving his fuel. Tissue rolls was his fuel power. But we're sitting at dining in the dining hall one day after our first practice. And um, he stopped eating and talking, I gotta go run. I'm like, what are you doing? We just got out of practice. He said, No, man, he said, I, I like to run every day after practice a mile, just keep my, my body loose. So he stopped eating, ran outside to the track and ran a mile. And as I got through eating and come out, he's still running a mile. And that's how he stayed fast so long because of how he took care of his body. You know, what he put in and what he put out, and what he, he what he watches, what he put in his body. So that got me on the health kick of watching what I put in my body. But I was like, well, Tootsie Rolls is just as bad as anything else. But he always said Tootsie Rolls was his favorite candy as a kid. And he still today eats Tootsie Rolls. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> The fastest player in NFL history is just just on Tootsie Rolls. <laughs> just on Tootsie Rolls. <laughs> you learn something new every day on the Digitally Dreaming Out the Ground podcast. Appreciate you sharing that story, Chris. Um, yeah. Let's talk about your resurgence in, in, in Washington with Daryl Green, the 97 uh, Pro Bowl and all Madden team season. Talking yeah. about that. <laughs> well, you know, Madden used to just do NFC games, I believe. Right. When he played, just all NFC. It wasn't AFC games he did. But as an AFC player, you always used to watch the All Madden, who he's going to pick for the All Madden team. And you'd be like, oh, man, I should be on this team. I, you know, you always, of course, compare yourself to this player. I better this player. I should be on that team. But he's always picked NFC guys because of, of the games, all the, all the Madden teams, the games he had, he had broadcast. And finally, now I'm on the NFC side. And in 97, when I got the honor to make the all Madden team getting a call and talking to him, and I made the all Madden team. It was just a huge honor. It was felt like I won the Super Bowl of being made, been made the uh, all Madden team, and that was just like I said, a big honor that, that that happened. I still have my jacket and my sweatshirt somewhere around here, but yeah, <laughs> it's a blessing to be named that. You know, that was probably that's that's probably one of my most cherished moments right there is being met. Uh, Named the All Madden team. Hundred percent. No, it definitely was an honor. You know, can like kind of kind of up there. You know, kind of with the Pro Bowl and All Pro, right? Right. And because right. um, I mean, same 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 players almost. You know, if you really think about it, and it's the same level of being considered one of the elite of the elite. You know, from Madden. God rest his soul, John Madden. You know, obviously the Raiders. You know, winning yesterday. You know, for them. You know, I mean, it's, it's awesome. You know, to kind of see that. But um, you know, obviously, you know, for you, you know, um, being in that new system, being in a new team, playing with a new, uh, playing with a new style, with a new scheme, right, with a new defensive coordinator, but still being able to kind of 
prove that you're one of the elite, you know, type of defenders at the cornerback position must have been a great, you know, type of experience. I almost feel like when you look at the 90s decade, the first half is like it's split, right? Because you had the Joe Montana's kind of Dallas Cowboys right in that first half. The second half, it's just the Denver Broncos, Shannon Sharp, Brett Favre, right? And the Sterling Sharps, all those guys, right? And essentially, you know, I mean, to kind of show that you were elite in two different kind of, you know, years in that entire decade, to me, that's truly remarkable. So, you know, kudos to you on that. Well, thank you, thank you. I really appreciate it. Like I said, that I said playing with a guy like Bill Green was amazing. You know, because right. I knew he. Was, so I was like, he'd make a play. Like I better make a play. Right. You know, so it was, we had we had so much on the field competition it was crazy that it helped to elevate both of our games. You know, hundred percent. So kind of talk to me about about what, what when when your contract with the red with the Washington football team expired and then you had to go. You went to decide to join Minnesota. Kind of what was that experience like for you? You know, I, um, unfortunate, you know, they, um, I really didn't want to leave Washington, but it was, they had an opportunity to draft uh, Champ Bailey. And <laughs> it was me or Champ Bailey. Well, okay. of course, knowing that I know Champ and what great player he is, right. you know, and I was getting a little bit older in age. And, um, I understand that football is also a business. It's right. also a great sport, but it's also a business. And I understood the business aspect of it. They, they had a chance to get a, such a superior player, like a Champ Bailey, uh, that they had to take that chance. You know, you can't cut the legend of all legends, Daryl Green. So I was expendable. And, and I'm fine with that because I was able to move on to uh, another team. But anytime you get a, have a chance to get a guy like Champ Bailey, you got to jump all over it, you know, and, and make that, and make that, Whoever you got to cut and what you ever got to do to get, you know, you have to do it. So, you know, and that's what happens. The business of the sport came to play and I was good with it. And I'm okay with it. 100%. You know, I've seen, I mean, just like, you know, for me, I was cut three times in the AFL and the AIF. <laughs> and <then> I, <laughs> before I finally made a roster, you know what I mean? I got invited to combine tryouts, you know, and I mean, it, it, it is what it is. At the end of the day, you just got to roll the punches. And, you know, like you said, football is a business. And just like any other company is a business, they go through layoffs. They look at their needs, right? right? It, is, right. it is what it is. So, you know, I think I think that's some of the lessons that are transferable to, 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 uh, to life off the gridiron, right? So, and we're about to get there. But let's go and wrap up your, your career, right, with Minnesota. You got to play Randy Moss, Chris Carter, Dante Culpepper, you guys, and Randall Cunningham. Was Randall there or was he not there? No, Randall was gone. He's gone, um, right? Okay. Gone, yes. Okay, and pretty much you guys made the NFC Championship game your last season there. So talk to me about your experience in Minnesota. Well, the Minnesota experience was great. You know, uh, being with uh, Coach Green, you know, he was, uh, you know, say Coach Green was a good offensive-minded coach. He was good to talk to, uh, to understand the schemes of why the offense attacked this or why the offenses do that. You know, I sit around and talk to him about different different schemes of how would you attack me. And he's giving me pointers and different stuff. Here's how I would attack you. I, you know, like he's telling me, he said, I wouldn't attack you in the first quarter or the second quarter. He said, you know, he's telling me that, you know, as the game go on, you get comfortable of lackadaisical sort of, of knowing that you're not going to get no balls your way. Then that's how I would attack you. And, I, and that was good to know because that left the mark in my mind that I can't get lackadaisical sometimes. Right. So, you know, it's just being able to talk to him about how teams will attack me, how if he was on the other opposing office coordinator, what would you do for me? Like he would tell me that I'm a double move me, move myself early. He was going to throw double moves on me early to back me off because he said I was known as a squatter. I used to squat a lot, but I used to tell him it's not really squatting. It's a technique, <laughs> you know. <laughs> he used to always tell me that that's what I would do. He would double move me early to back me off of squatting or try to jump on plays or make plays, you know, so, so many times to back me off and make me play cautious. So, you know, just hearing stuff like that, that's why you select about Coach Green. I know Coach Green was a great offensive mind, great passionate coach, right? I mean, as, as everyone knows, sound bite, we let him, we let him get away, right? But yeah, essentially, he I mean, he definitely, he definitely was, was great. You know, he also coached here in Sacramento for the UFL for a little bit. So it was, mm-hmm. it was cool, you know, having seen that, so. Um, but yeah, ultimately now, obviously, I mean, like, you know, yeah, you got to, you got to kind of wind up your career with Minnesota 13 years. Um, and obviously, I mean, I, I don't want to get into it, but I just have to ask the Antonio Freeman, Monday night football play. Uh, 
If you want to, we don't have to. I just want to ask. <laughs> uh, I, I don't. I don't mind uh, talking about that player. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's, it's, the, it's the experience that happened. Right. And I use that experience to as coaching today, of telling my guys that you got to finish. Right. You know, you got to finish the play. Right. Well, a lot of things people don't understand about that play is three or four plays before that, Brett Fire was throwing him the ball, and it hit the ground. He scooped it up like that. He took off right. And I'm like, dude, the ball hit the ground. What are you doing? So I didn't think nothing of it. So when that play had happened, you know, it went through my hands down my back to, to him, you know, I didn't finish the play. And once again, once, you know, he tipped and once he started running, as you see, I have, I have a chance to tackle him, but I'm thinking he's doing the same thing he did three or four plays later. You know, I was like, I'm not wasting my energy chasing you and tackling you and the ball is, was on the ground, but as I look up at the uh, the the um, the projector, not the projector, the teletron, I see that um, he actually caught it, and I looked and I like, and I said some choice words and just walked into the uh, locker room because I knew that it was a catch. So right. it was one of those things that I I tell my players, and I actually show my players about finishing, about when you have an opportunity to make the play, to make the play. You know, I had an opportunity to end the game right then and there or put us in the position of winning the game. But unfortunate, I did not make it. So, you know, it's a learning tool that I still use. It's a learning tool that I don't mind talking about it. Uh, it's, a, it's something that I can say it happened. And, hey, I have to live with it and say, here's the reason why it happened. I didn't, I didn't finish the play. I have covered, you know, such good receivers before and, Antonio Freeman, to his uh, credit, he made the play. And if you make the play, you make the play. Simple as that. Simple as that. Yeah. All about finishing, right? Yeah, all about finishing, yes. Finish, finish what you started. And I didn't finish. I didn't finish. That's exactly what my coach and what I, when I was coaching Whitney high school, two years ago before the pandemic hit, you know, I'd always tell my receivers, right. Cause I'd be like, you got to finish, <laughs> you know, yeah. you got to finish. And what's one thing a DB coach, now we're going to talk about coaching, right. But pretty much what well, one thing a DB coach would always say, or my receiver coach in college, Juco would say to me, what DB coach would be telling the DBs would be like, you don't let him get the inside you, right. Do not let him get inside you. Right. Because the yeah, moment right. he gets one step inside you, you know, and I mean, there's so many little nuances to your point. And now we can pretty much wrap up your career with making an NFC championship game. You finished out your NFL career, 13 seasons, 43 interceptions. And by the way, to this day, you are uh, Chris Dishman to all listeners of viewers out there is the second all-time interception leader in Tennessee Titans and Houston Oilers history with 31, which is truly remarkable. Only behind Jim Norton with 45. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, he had 45 is a lot, man. He was, he was balling back then, but. <laughs> yeah you know what i mean in the 60s you know different 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 time different story so but yeah. hey you know and, and and you end up your career you know i mean with, with antonio freeman cash be damned you made the nfc championship game so it was, it was a good way to go out right right so talk to me about when you're going through retirement and and your transition to coaching kind of what 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 when that first coaching opportunity opened up for you well um alonzo highsmith a very good friend of mine uh from the uh, miami and played it with me at the oilers and dallas he was in scouting. He was scouting. I think he was with the Packers, I believe, at the time. I'm not really sure on that, but I think he was with the Packers. And um, he, had, he, he told me that I needed to get into coaching, and he had some guys he wanted me to train. And so I started training those guys, and that's how I got into coaching. You know, he told me, he said, man, you're too good of a player. You need to coach, blah, blah, blah. And he talked me into coaching. So I ended up um, – Calling, calling around to different people, uh, trying to get a coaching job. And um, Charlie Cashley, who was at the Redskins when I was there, he was at the Texans. I called him. He said, well, if you're really interested in coaching, there's a league starting, NFL Europe. He said, go there and see if you really want to coach. And that's when, you, and that's when I went to NFL Europe. I coached with the Berlin Thunder, uh, Jim Tom Sula, the great defensive uh, line coach, head coach with the 49ers for a while. Yes, sir. He was the defensive coordinator. Right. I was the DB coach. And uh, him and I used to sit down and draw cards downstairs in that basement at the Marriott and draw cards and talk football. And uh, 
I just got the coach's book from that point on and went for, from the Berlin Thunder, came back to the States. And I just wanted to coach, no matter if it was Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, high school. I just wanted to coach. I did not want to let this coaching bug lead. Went out to Menlo College, Division Three school there in the Bay Area. Uh, was the DB coach the first year, was the defense coordinator, DB coach the second year. Then 08, Coach Turner called me, and I was the assistant defensive back coach there for the Chargers from 08 to 13. So that's how I started my coach career. Uh, you know, from 13, and then I went from 13, went to uh, Baylor from 13 to 16, then went to from Baylor, went to um, what was the uh, no, not the USFL, went to Canadian football from Canadian football back to McNeese, from McNeese back to oh, XFL, no, yeah, XFL, then to IMG. So, excuse me, I'm sorry. Um, so that's how I um, started my coaching career. And, and I, I wouldn't see myself doing nothing else but coaching. 100%. You know, because coaching, you basically get to kind of the lessons that you've learned as a player that you can't physically do anymore, right? Making, in terms of making play, reading coverages, it's just so much better to give that back to that next generation of athletes, right? And being able to develop. And, you know, it's, and obviously, like, you know, through your experiences, you have a lot more credence, you know, with the locker room of the guys you're trying to skill, the skill position guys you're trying to get, you know, over that hump. And I just want to say for Men Menlo, I was actually supposed to walk on at Menlo from West Valley College in Saratoga, if, you, if you're familiar. <laughs> With West Valley College, we had a program <laughs> up, up until up until 2000 till, till 2013, yeah. And then I played there from uh, played 09. Uh, you know, after my coach went from SJC's Fresno State, and then I was supposed to walk on. I decided to go for the San Jose Sabercats class combine. So if I show you this, you may not be able to see that, but that jersey right over there, the green one, that's basically okay. my Sabercats in Oakland. I was at that, that combine, so it was pretty fun. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. So like I said, I I really enjoy coaching. I really enjoy coaching DBs, the technique. I really enjoy the, uh, when, when you see the technique working, when you set a game plan uh, up and it actually works, you know, and you tell the guys that this works and he'd come back all excited. Hey coach, what you told me, I tried and it worked. And the best thing I love about coaching is, is the players. To this day, no matter where I coach, even when I coach at Menlo College, I still keep in touch with my DBs. Uh, San Diego, XFL, New York Guardians. Even I did a stint, uh, stint with uh, Your Call Football. I did a stint with Your Call Football. I still keep in touch with my guys there at Baylor. I still keep in touch with the guys. And that's the thing I'm, I'm more proud about is, yeah, I was hard on them, but they knew that I loved them and they knew that I was trying to teach them right. And as a coach, if you can realize that you can be hard on guys and guys can take coaching, but you also got to love them, you know, and you also got to tell them right from wrong. And you always got to treat them with respect. And I think that's what I love the most about coaching is every player will know that I love them and every player know that I'm trying to be the best for them. So I'm trying to get them where they want to go. 100%. No, I think, I think that, that, that's, that's definitely a key lesson and a key principle of coaching to know that, Hey, you know, you keep in touch with, you know, your players, like, even for me, you know, what I mean, with Coach Dub, who's now on the Ravens, who actually was in the XFL for a little bit. Oh, what year in the were you in the XFL in twenty nineteen or twenty twenty? Uh, twenty twenty. That was the uh, New York Guardians. Oh, you're getting two and twenty. Yeah, I know. So uh, you may not know Coach Keith Williams or Darius Prince. But I basically, you know, I mean, those are those are uh, those two two guests on the show. Darius Prince was actually the first guest on the show. He played he played in the AFL, then he went he got into Eagles practice squad without playing oh. football in college. <laughs> it's, it's wow. yeah, yeah yeah so you know i mean and and that's a, that's the whole that, that's for me that's the whole point of football it's just supposed to everyone everyone's at different levels you know everyone you know, like you said high school d1 d3 d2 juco pro you know whether it's the xfl or the or, or the nfl or the cfl wherever you know i mean you, there's different lessons you can learn and football has grown so tremendously you know i mean obviously not just in in the states and canada but also like to your point in europe and now anywhere across the world, I remember I was in Morocco not lots long ago, and I was doing a little a camp over there for the for the kids because they they have football over there too now, believe it or not. <laughs> you oh know? wow, so, yes, yeah, 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 it's awesome. So I I love seeing the sport grow, 
And I love just kind of the interlinking, you know, kind of, or, or the synergies. I kind of like, you know, your, your parallels, you know, they, they align with me, which may align to someone else who may be listening or watching this, you know? So, correct, correct. yeah. It's awesome. Talk mm-hmm. to me about your favorite moment as a coach that as, as like, as like in the game, what was your favorite game or maybe like your favorite moment so far in your coaching career? Oh, well, um, I, um, one of my favorite moments when I got one of my players, uh, everyone was telling me that he won't be able to graduate. He couldn't graduate. He don't go to class. He don't do this. And I got him to graduate with honors. Wow. <laughs> wow. I was able to stay on him for long, forever, forever. I used to go and knock on his door, pick him up, take him to class, make sure he do his homework. I think that was probably one of my biggest challenges of making him graduate. You know, I think it was one of my greatest challenges of making him graduate and uh, getting a degree and letting him realize that football may not last forever as long as you have your degree. Right. And to this day, him and I talk to each other at least once, twice a week, and he still reminds me of the story of when I picked him up and he was mad of me picking him up, but now he's so grateful that I did pick him up from school. You know, as coaches, you got to you got to go out your way. You just can't do a nine to five coaching is not nine to five. If you're trying to be a coach and you're trying to work a nine to five, that's not going to work. Coaches sometimes is 6 a.m. in the morning to sometimes 12, one, two or three o'clock in the morning, you know, and you have to love what you do. And I love what I do. And I will continue to be a coach to probably the day I die because of the relationships I have with my players. Uh, and plus just, I just love it. It just gives me that that goosebump energy that, you know, of I can't do it no more, but I can do it through your legs. You let me have your mind, and, you, and then if I have your mind, you use your young legs, I can get you where you want to get to, and that would be my satisfaction. Football is 90% mental, 90% mental. So, you know, the 10% physical, right? You're living, you're, 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 it's vicariously being carried out through your players, you know? Correct, yes, right. yes. And to your point, you know, same thing with me. Like, I mean, like, you know, I remember high, the reason I didn't play high school is because my I, I was knuckle my first couple of years, but I ended up turning it around and graduating semester early and walking on JUCO. And when I, when I met Keith Coach Tilge Dub, he basically said, like, yeah, can you work hard and can you be and stay committed to class? You can't slack off, you know, because what you're going to realize very quickly is that, you know, even as even as a junior collegiate athlete, you're going to have to figure out ways to schedule your practices or schedule your classes around the practices and then make sure you maintain the minimum GPA requirement, right? To, and right, to your right. point, working with that student, it, it, depending on who you are, you might be able to do it. You might be not, not be able to do it. And I gained such such a, a broad appreciation for the sport just through my own experiences, you know, in, in college. Right. Because I was like, wow, like, you know, like, cause I mean, we all, I mean, if you never play, I mean, you're going to have different perceptions. Like, Oh yeah, these guys are just job, whatever. Right. Or like, you know, they, whatever, like, no, they're not that good at school. They don't care about their grades, blah, blah, which may be true to occasion to, to a point. But at the end of the day, like when you actually have to go out and do it yourself, you, t- you tend to really get, you get a rude awakening, you know? Right, so, yeah. right. I mean, it's a great, so yeah. And I mean, I'm pretty proud about the wall behind me. This is all non-football stuff you're seeing right here. So. Oh, we got you. Great, great, great. <laughs> I'm sure your parents are proud of you also. I appreciate it. No, they definitely are. But more importantly, like you said, that goosebumps feeling, right? Coaching gave me that, but now that, you know, coaches have kind of been put on hold at the high school, whatever level, right? I mean, now just doing the podcast and hearing these stories is what gives me that goosebumps, you know, kind right. of. Okay, yeah. gotcha, gotcha. Absolutely. So talk to me about, you know, I mean, um, so I guess now, I mean, is there um, for you kind of what are your new, new resolutions for 2021 about maybe with IMG? Talk to me a little bit about what, what IMG does and kind of how that model is for coaching. That's uh, good for um, like coaches who don't want to be like uh, teach. And if you don't want to teach or nothing like that, you know, because we're all football. We don't have to teach. We don't have to go in classes or nothing like that. They have teachers and stuff for that. But it's, it's a sports school. So whatever you get, if you get into one of your sports and you have a chance to go there, it's a sports school. You have morning, you have morning sports and then evening classes, you know. So it's 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 good for individuals who who have that. And it's a prep school for college. It's prepping you for college. Okay. Excellent. So talk to me about your New Year's resolutions, any closing thoughts about your career, anything for our listeners and viewers out there. No, it's, I'm just trying to um let God lead my steps where I may go. You know, like I said, I'm working on my goat skills. I'm trying to do a goat skills camp. I got goatskills.com. It's one of my websites I like to do. And it's, it's of course, it's, it's all about uh, teaching DB stuff and drills. And I have 
conditioning stuff on there. And then I'm also working with a company, Change Our Numbers. It's all about changing your numbers, you know, changing whatever number you have, changing that number. Is, and it's, and it's, it's, people always think it's a football related, a sports related, but it's more of your inner, your inner numbers, your blood pressure, your heart, your heart rate, you know, your cholesterol and stuff like that. It's all about healthy eating. You know, I've been down a vegan almost going on two years now. So that has changed my lifestyle as more than anything. So it kept me, my weight down. It's it changed my numbers. My cholesterol went down. My high blood pressure went down. And it's just, you know, it's a thing that's, as you get older, you know, I don't know how old you are, but as you get older, you have to watch what you eat. You can't have the, and you can't have the McDonald's, even though I did a McDonald's commercial, a two for two <laughs> McDonald's commercial. <laughs> You just can't have the McDonald's every day and right. stuff like that. You have to watch what you eat. And you have to change your numbers. And last week I got involved with a ministry called suitupministry.org. You know, and I'm start working with them and just started using my platform to pretty much get, get them out there and, and stuff. So it's, I try to use my platform for positive things. Uh, you know, I've been working with the, uh, Boys and Girls Club, and uh, I've been working with the Diabetes Foundation, uh, you know, and then Alzheimer's Foundation. I've done stuff with the Alzheimer's Foundation. So I'm just trying to do stuff that's like Alzheimer's dear and near to me. You know, unfortunately, my dad passed away last September of Alzheimer's, which is such a tragedy disease that we cannot find a cure for Alzheimer's. We can find a cure for everything else, but Alzheimer's, we so say, can't find a cure for it. You know, so that's what I'm pushing myself to is, is doing more for the Alzheimer's that way. So that way someone else can find a cure for that one day. 100%. And to, to, to answer your question, I'm 31. So I remember watching okay. you when I was seven <laughs> years old. <laughs> it was great. And so, yeah, but I mean, cholesterol is actually even for me when I, because I stopped playing in 2018, um, like semi, semi-professionally playing, right? And essentially, um, I just I just kept on my same diet without taking care of myself, like exercise wise, right, and not wow. keeping track of it. So my LDL was up to like 168, something ridiculous. Wow. Yeah. And then my dad, my dad's a cardiologist, so he gave me statins, and I changed my diet, and then my it dropped down to 48. Yeah. So that, that's what I'm saying. It's just watching the numbers. You know, as, right. as ex players, we just think our metabolism won't slow down, but your metabolism <laughs> extra slow down. So we just eat, eat, eat. The next thing you know, you see yourself. You, you see yourself at 180, then all of a sudden you're 185, then all of a sudden you're 190, then all of a sudden you're 198, then all of a sudden you're 210, and you just keep going up and up and up. So it's just watching your numbers and changing your numbers is more than anything. It's just, it's internal more than external. You know, if you feel good inside, you should feel good outside. You know, it's just, like I said, and that's what I'm very proud of, suit up ministry and change our numbers because those organizations help getting stuff out there. You know, change our numbers for the safety.org. So I know I throw a lot of stuff out there to you, but I just like to get a lot of my stuff that I'm doing out there to people realize that there is maybe one or two people who listen to this podcast will say, hey, I want to try to do that. I want to try to do this. And, you know, just helping people as you can. You know, we're all going to someday end up in the place that we're, with the golden lights. And just hopefully that when it's our time to come to, see those lights that he's able to let us in those pearly gates. And that he said that you did all that you can do positive to help others. And that's what I'm trying to do. 100%. No, very inspiring, very good words of wisdom and, you know, really good kind of to see all things you're involved with Chris and how you've transitioned from a playing to, to, a cl- to your playing career to coaching now and everything you're doing with ministry is light. And obviously you mentioned everything that you know, how people can, can get in touch with you. I know you through LinkedIn. How can people get in touch with you otherwise if they wish, if they want to learn more? Uh, ChrisDishman.com. Our website's there. You know, if you just go to ChrisDishman.com. Um, my Twitter is, is Chris. Dang. I don't know. I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember my, I'm not big in social media, but yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. On, I'm, on, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. But the best thing to get, just go to Chris, C-R-I-S, Dishman.com. And you can see all my Twitter information and all my social media information right there. It's the best thing you can do. You know what I'm saying? And then go to changeournumbers.org, suitupministry.org, and then just go and give back to organizations that, you know, that is, is doing some good.
hundred percent. No. And Chris, you know, it was very great having you on. I know we're out of time, but really appreciate you coming on the show today. And you know, I mean, I hope that we can do this again soon. Maybe we can talk some more about coaching and different schemes and coverages and kind of you know, get to a <laughs> clinic. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, sounds, sounds great. Let's just make that. Let's make that happen. Maybe we can go over to Morocco. Is there what you said you just came oh, from? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, yeah. 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 Go if, you there, want, if you want to come with. <laughs> <laughs> I'd go over there and have a clinic or two. I've never been over there, so it'd be something to do. It'd be definitely something new. No, and you'll love it. It's, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful country, and the people there are so welcoming, especially Americans. It's like, wow, I love it, you know? So, right, right. yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's definitely great. So, yeah. Definitely. You know, everyone, you know, Chris Dishman, chrisdishman.com, you know, you, a ministries of light and, uh, you know, you know, the man, the myth, the legend, you know, it was great. It's, really- it's a, it's a suitupministry.org. Suitupministry.org. Suitupministry.org and changeournumbers.org. Changeournumbers.org. So suitupministry.org, changeournumbers.org and chrisdishman.com. So, you know, I mean, what y'all waiting for? Get on it. Get your ass Get back in it. shape. It's 2022, <laughs> man. New Year's That's resolutions. It. Get that ass to work, baby. <laughs> All right. All right. Chris, Thank you for and, having me on. Uh, Appreciate yeah. you. hundred percent, brother. Take care. Uh, you know, happy 2022. Can't wait to do this again. And w- watch my Niners whoop that Cowboys ass this weekend. Get All right. <laughs> Let's go. Have a great one, okay? You do. Take care. Bye-bye.